Hey, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm actually the founding pastor here at E3, and we are celebrating our 15th anniversary today. So we are super excited about that. So uh, I just would like, if you were at E3 on the first Sunday, will you please stand up? Wow. You guys should get an award or something, no doubt. So uh, 15 years, it's actually uh, just, I've been thinking about the 15 years and just uh, just the amazing things that our church has been able to uh, do as a, as a body, as the expression of Jesus Christ over the past 15 years, and it's just really been overwhelming as, as I've thought about it, especially uh, just like personally, um, uh, my wife and my kids and I actually came to Tallahassee about six months before to join with uh, some folks to launch this church. And I was thinking about it. I was 34 years old when I, when I came here. My, my beautiful bride was uh, 23, I think, at, at that time. Now, she was 33. My, my son was two. My uh, daughter was, I believe, six years old. And uh, just an amazing, amazing thing. Um, uh, just as as life has gone along, and just uh, just looking over those past fifteen years, just what God has done. Just the hundreds of people who've come to faith and and been baptized, who have found community. Uh, just um, uh, just what we've been able to do as as the body of Christ. We've been able to bridge the nutritional gap for hundreds and hundreds of people right here in our own community. We've been able to come along and uh, minister to families. Uh, we have been able, through our Acts 2 fund, uh, when people are in crisis here and like their lights have been turned off or they've lost a job, that our community has been able to bridge that gap. Not only here locally have we had this amazing impact, but also internationally that we've been able to build, uh, I don't know how many homes for single mothers in, in Guatemala, that uh, through, uh, we've been able to have a presence in Haiti, and especially through the, through the Hannahs, and just uh, from the earthquake to the just amazing ministry, uh, nursing schools, and just impact that we've been able to have as a body across Christ in Haiti. And then uh, also in Uganda, being part of... Uh, uh, helping to fund the first uh, special needs school in, in Uganda. And it's just this amazing time of celebration. So when I had the opportunity to speak today and, and really talk about it, I was like, okay, what, so, so what's the topic? And they're like, oh, we're in this series, Jesus Wept. And you're on idolatry. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> we can make the we can make this make this work, but the reality is of all of these kind of things that we love to talk about uh, uh, in the church and what we've been able to do as the body of Christ for every one of those things, there's been countless heartbreaks over the years. There's been people who've passed away way too early that our church has had to bury. There's been brokenness, there's been pain, uh, there's people who have lost their jobs, that there's uh, relationships that have been broken, 
and really all of these wonderful things that we're able to participate, it may be even more important that our church is here when life falls apart, that we can come together as a community. And the verse Jesus wept, uh, when I was a little kid, it was almost kind of like this joke, right? It's a, it's a, it's a two-word verse. In fact, when I was a little kid, my, my, my dad wanted my brother and me to memorize Bible verses. So uh, he said, hey, we'll pay you a dollar for every Bible verse that you, yeah, you memorize. Yeah, you guys see where this is coming. So I'm like, cool. Like two seconds later, I'm like, you know, dad, I got my first Bible verse. He's like, awesome. And, you know, and, and I, you know, come in. I'm like, John 11:35. Jesus wept. <laughs> and I look back at, at that, and, and even though I had no understanding of the true theological significance of that verse back then, actually, it's one of the most important scriptures in all of the Bible. Because a lot of times we look at Jesus is walking on water and feeding the 5,000 and all of these amazing things. But this truth that our God weeps for the things that break our heart, weeps for the brokenness in this world. It's not Jesus missed it up, right? It's not Jesus did this. It's Jesus wept. I'm sure everybody here has wept at one time or another. Last time I actually wept was probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I was working on getting my doctorate, and that was really important to me. And it was pretty public in our community that I was working on it. And I had a, a lot at stake personally in it. And I got the call that my dissertation was rejected by the committee. And I wasn't going to graduate with my cohort. I wasn't going to be able to, you know, kind of have the celebration that we thought we were going to have. And I remember standing in my living room with my wife over there, Shannon. And I'm like, I'm twice as big as her. And and I just like collapsed on her and just broke down. And I wept. And I know that that may not seem like a big thing for some of you. I know some of you are going through much, much heavier stuff right now. But the reality is that my brokenness, that, that I knew that Jesus was weeping with me and also was teaching me some things in that. And one of those things revealed to me was that I had made an idol out of this degree. That I had focused so hard on achieving this stuff, which actually revealed a deeper truth about myself, I have the 
propensity to make significance an idol in my life. It is super, super important to me that my work matters. So much so that sometimes it matters more than Jesus. And I was just coming off of three years of, of, of trying to get this church up and going, group, you know, with a great group of people. And I really, uh, during those first three years, I honestly, uh, and I've com- my, my family knows this and we've, we've talked about it, but the first three years of planning this church, I sacrificed my family on the altar of ministry because I wanted my work to matter. That this church actually, which is a good thing, had become an idol in my life. And I got through that and I just rolled right into another thing because I wanted my work and my life to matter. And this is the tricky thing about idols. Sometimes idols can be a good thing. Sometimes in the church, people will applaud your idol. But it's no less destructive than any other idol. And as we look at the Scripture today, hopefully we can go along and and identify maybe some potential idols that we all have in our lives. Because I don't think I'm alone in this, am I? No, no, okay, good, good, okay. God, sit down, you guys can all talk to me. (laughs) So I think we're all into this together, and... And as we, as we look at these things, I think this is why biblical community is so important, that we, we create this place that we can actually talk about these kind of things. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John starts out, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Okay, let me just throw it out here right now. He's not talking about peanut butter pie, right? Because you know what? I love that the world offers us peanut butter pie. Like peanut butter pie is delicious. This is not what, what, what the Holy Spirit is saying through John. This is this hard thing that, that, you know what? There can be things that we enjoy and love in the world, but when those things move Christ out of his rightful place in our lives, this is where this insidious thing comes in and becomes idolatry. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. We've seen this from when the man and the woman was tempted in the garden and, and ate of the apple so they would know good and evil, that, that they would become the center of their lives. The scripture continues, says, these are not from the Father, but from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. 
So scholars break this down actually into three sections, and I want to share this with you really quick because I think this will be helpful as we understand this, this issue that I think arguably all of us deal with, who's going to be Lord of our life or what's going to be Lord of our life. In verse 15, it breaks out, number one, it's love of the world or love of the Father. Love of the world or love of the Father. And again, this is what are we going to worship? Where are we going to put our faith and our hope and, and our expectations and in life into? I look at this uh, is if our lives, if you kind of visualize it as a, as a vessel or a vase, or as my mom would say, vase, you know, that, uh, you know, it, it only has so much capacity. And are we going to fill that up with, with Christ? Are we going to fill that up with the teachings of Jesus? Or are we going to put some other things in there? The second part, it says, look, from the world comes craving physical pleasure, craving what we see, you know, like keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Amazons, right? You see something, add to cart, and then you have the option to share. Hey, guess what? I just got this thing that I never thought existed. You should get one too. And it perpetuates itself, right? And then pride in our achievements and possessions. Those things come from the world, but what comes from the Father is... Faith, hope, and love. And this is the compare and contrast when we're in our growth groups, when we're in church, and this is why church and growth groups and biblical community is so important, is because there's nowhere else on earth that we can come and actually have these conversations. I'm a faculty member at, at Florida State. Nobody ever asked me about my faith or if I'm hopeful. They definitely ask, don't ask me if I'm craving physical pleasure, right? I mean, that's the place that, you know, in our, in our biblical community, that's where we talk about these things. And then finally in verse 17, it talks about how the world will pass away, but the one who obeys remains forever. And this is... Again, this, this idea that we, many times with idols, that there's this temporary just fix, and it is not, it does not last forever. It's like Snickers used to have this commercial. It's like Snickers truly satisfies, right? You remember that? Well, if it truly satisfied, you'd eat one and be done, right? Forever. False advertising it doesn't truly satisfy. I mean, it's good, but it doesn't truly satisfy. And again, this goes back to our vessels and are we storing up our treasures in heaven? Are we ambassadors of Christ? Are, are these the things that we are focusing on? So in verse 18, John continues, says, Dear children, the last hour is here. You've heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists 
have appeared. I actually talked a little bit about this last summer. Really, the focus of this, this verse is not talking about the Antichrist who is going to come and divide the church in end times and stuff like this. This verse is talking about the Antichrists. And the Antichrists in our life are those things that pull us away from the deity and following of Jesus. These are the things that erode our community. These are the things that potentially can get to a point where it will destroy not only ourselves, but will reverberate through our families and through our community. And again, the the challenging thing is that a lot of these things are stuff that we celebrate. You know, work can be an idol, yeah? But work is good. Depending on where you work, I guess. Um, you know, your children can become an idol. In fact, this is a really growing one that in, 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 the, in America, we, we worship our children. And at what point do you transcend loving your children and start idolizing them, starting to put them in the place of Christ? It's not always a negative, insidious thing. In fact, sometimes it can, it can be something uh, that's just an indulgence. There's a story, I actually told this story 15 years ago, and I was told never to tell it again, but I'm going to tell you it. We got a PG-13 rating on this thing, and since only like three of you or five of you were here when we originally did it, it, it really talks about how, how things that, that maybe we're naturally inclined to or, or can do, you know, can be part of our lives can actually end up killing us. And I read a story on the internet. I have no idea if it's true or not, but it's a great story. Just full disclosure. <laughs> It's this, what Eskimos uh, would do about snow wolves uh, in their community, uh, or community, whatever, wherever they lived. I don't know anything about their community. But this is it. So, and what would happen is, my understanding is, these snow wolves would come in and, like, eat their salmon, kill, kill their sled dogs, and things like that. So somebody devised this plan that, that these snow wolves have this uh, lust for blood. And at night, they would, they would uh, put some blood on their knife, on their hunting knives, and they would go out and stick it in the snow. And what would happen is at night, the snow wolves would come in and they would smell that blood. And they would come and they would lick that blood. And because it was so cold, they wouldn't feel... It cut their tongue. But once their tongue was cut, that warm blood would start to go. And what they would do is actually more and more, they tasted the blood, that they would stab themselves and they would die. Now you know why I'm not allowed to tell this story. (laughs) 30th anniversary of E3, come on back, I'm going to tell it again. 
But that's really how we get got by by these insidious things that ensnare us, that, that come in and not only can destroy our own lives, but can destroy our family and can destroy our communities. I drotted something down and just uh, uh, what I think is true is that indulgences in our life can become idols. And idols can become addictions. And addictions can kill you and kill your community. And it doesn't matter if it's an addiction of work or ministry or, or an indulgence in pornography or an indulgence in drugs and alcohol. And I'm not saying that you can't have a drink. Don't hear that. I'm not saying you, don't have, you can't go to work, Right? But these indulgences can become idols. They can move Christ out of his rightful place. And this is why the church is so important. Because we can have an open conversation about the things that are in our life. Hey, you know what? Is, is your work in check? Is, how is your family life? You know, how, how are you doing with these different things? And these are the conversations that make up a biblical community and protect us from being devoured by idols that can lead to addiction, that can lead to killing ourselves, killing our families, killing our communities. Verse 19 goes on about just people who've been ensnared by this. These people left our churches, but they really never belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. But you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you His Spirit. And all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. And who is a liar? And this is so critically important for us to understand in the church. Is what is a lie? Number one, anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Christ is another word for Messiah. Anybody who does not say that, that, that Jesus was sent by God the Father as the foretold Messiah in Old Testament Scripture. That Jesus is the one that we identify who is the Messiah who came to save us. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. So anyone who denies the the Father, who denies the Son, is contrary to the person and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And then finally, anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then verse 24, so you must be faithful, remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. And you know what? We have been taught from the beginning from 
historical Orthodox Christianity is the same thing that we have been teaching here at E3 for 15 years. And you can find it on our website, but you'll also find it right up here because I'm going to go through them. So there is actually six uh, essential truths that we believe make up our faith, that what is true of Christianity. The first one is how you view the Bible. We believe, believe the Bible composed of the 66 books. We didn't leave any out or add any. Uh, uh, Old and Te New Testament is wholly inspired by God without error in revealing God's truth through the use of narrative, poetry, and teaching, and the final authority on all matters. This is what we believe about the Bible, that, that Scripture is true. Yes, you have to look at it, interpret it correctly, but it uses a different one. But it is true, and it is what guides us. Number two, we believe in one God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, infinitely perfect and eternally existing as three people, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Number three, we believe that all people have been desi designed to be in a relationship with God, but we have also elevated our own personal uh, wants and desires. Basically, we have moved God out of the center, and we... Uh, in God's perfect plan. Therefore, we have eternally severed our relationship with God outside of the rest, restoring work of Jesus Christ. We believe that we are totally reliant on God's free gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, as the only path to restored relationships with Him. And we look forward to Christ's coming return in fulfillment with Bible's, the Bible's teachings. And number five, we believe the Holy Spirit fills true followers of Christ, revealing to us the actions, habits, and patterns in our lives that are not pleasing to God, empowering us to live out God's purpose in our lives and giving us spiritual gifts for the building of the kingdom of God. Just to unpack that a little bit more, we believe that the Holy Spirit speaks through the pastors here as they teach. We believe the Holy Spirit speaks through you in your growth groups and in our conversations. That, that we find that the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture so we can test what we're, we're being taught. And then finally, we believe E3 is only part, small part of God's global church, which is comprised of all followers of Christ who are committed to worshiping the one true God, telling others about the gospel of Jesus Christ, connecting in biblical community, teaching and encouraging one another to be more like Christ, and then serving the church as those far from God in the name of Jesus. And these are what we've been taught at the beginning, and these are the six essentials that, that bind us together. And John says, if you do this, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father, and in fellowship, we, uh, and in this fellowship, we enjoy eternal life He has promised us. And he goes on to finish with this. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Believe me, over 15 years of being here, there's been people who have come in and and have want to, wanted to lead us astray from these six essential beliefs. 
for one reason or another. And it's disruptive and it hurts community. And we have been able to time and time again go back to Scripture and back to the basics and say, God, what do you want for us as a healthy, biblically functioning community? And in verse 27, John finishes with these three things. You have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. You don't need anyone to teach you what is true. It's just number one, that the Holy Spirit has, has indwelled in us. And again, going back to the vessel, all of us have to be in conversation to make sure that what we are hearing from the Spirit is true and in testing that. And be honest if we have stuff in our lives that can distort our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're in biblical community. But that's number one. Number two, for the Spirit teaches us everything we need to know, and He teaches what, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie. So we can know that what we're hearing is true or it's not true. We can know that it is from God or not, from the Holy Spirit or not. And then, so just as He has taught you, remember, remain in fellowship with Christ. And I wanted to end with this one sentence because over the past 15 years, this is how I have seen indulgences go to idolatry and idolatry go to an addiction and addiction going to either spiritually or physically, actually, killing somebody, destroying a family, or severely damning, damaging community. Every single time that happens, it's done in isolation. It happens in isolation. Because the enemy tries to, just like in, you know, National Geographic, you see the lion going and, and moves one of the antelope or something. I know nothing about this, but uh, uh, I'm going with it. <laughs> uh, isolates and kills. And this is, this is what we see our enemy do with us. And I know it's true in my life. When I start isolating and, and moving, that I'm not at my best. I'm at my best when I'm in community. I'm in my best when I have people who are close to me, not everybody, calling me and checking in, checking in on me. And in just having that community where you can openly talk about these things. And one of the cool things about E3, which I believe is true, has always been true, and I think is why we are such a special place, is we are able to, to make true two things happen at the same time. Truth number one, we are totally, we totally adhere to the teachings and life of Jesus Christ, and we call each and every one of us to try to emulate Jesus. The other truth is that every single one of us have fallen short of the grace or glory of God, and we are in need of a Savior. And one does not undo the other. 
They actually bring balance. They actually, together, there is the beauty of unconditional love, but there's also the understanding that we have fallen short from that and we are in need of grace and a Savior. And those two things to come together. And you know what God calls that? The bride of Christ. It is a thing of beauty. And I believe that we as this local expression of the body of Christ will someday stand in front of our Creator and say, well done, my good and faithful servants. You are able to adhere to my truth and my standards, but also created a place of grace and authenticity where people can stumble, where people can fail, but if they want to be in community and they want to follow in your footsteps, that they are embraced and loved and accepted. So for 15 years, we have never one day done it perfectly. But I do believe every day we have tried to be the best expression of the body of Christ that we could be.